is I absolutely hate the switch to daylight savings time. It's just, I still feel like I should be in bed right now. Almost. But I love also wrestling with my children. I love seeing them thrive, thrive in their education, their understanding of the gospel, athletics. I love some more things you need to know about me. I love being understood. I love coming to church. I love training men in our church to preach. I love getting a raise. I love achieving things. I love playing board games. That's going to shock many of you, I'm sure. I love reading good fiction. I love getting gifts. And I love playing trombone in an orchestra. You know what the problem is with loving things? The problem is when you love something, you can't ever get enough of it, can you? You always want more. And that's how God made it. God made it that way such that he who loves something wants more of it. And you know, you won't have to make me do any of those things that I listed, except for the switch to daylight savings time. I'll do that under duress. But the things I love, you don't have to make me do them. And in this section of John, where we are, we've been preaching through the Gospel of John. Time slows down as Jesus is preparing to die, and he reminds his disciples of the basics. The basics of his mission, like last week in John 14, we saw what makes for true love. This week we're in chapter 15. If you have a church Bible, it's on page 586. And Jesus reminds his disciples of the basics. And so I want to highlight for you to start here, verse 11, because here Jesus tells us why he's telling us the things he's telling us. In John 15, 11, he says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. That's why Jesus is speaking. Jesus wants us to have full joy. And the way we have full joy is by having Jesus' joy in us. Jesus, he's the creator of all things. He created joy. He created joyful things, and he gives it in abundance. And when we love what he loves, we are bound to be happier people. So Jesus, in this section, he doesn't speak of what we must do as Christians. He doesn't speak of what we should do or even what we could do. Rather, he speaks of what we should want to do. Because if we want what he wants, we will find our fullest joy. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, I would like to ask you, would you consider following Christ with us? Do you have something worth living for, worth dying for? And in asking you to join us in following Christ, I'm not asking you to buckle down and do what you should do. Instead, I'm asking you to consider what's best for you. I'm asking you to consider what you were made for. And so this morning in John 15, we are going to see two secrets for a more joyful life. And the two secrets are these, that we must know that the Father 
wants fruit, and the fruit that he wants is love. That's what we're going to see in the two parts of this passage. Let's pray, and then I will read part of the passage. Our Father in heaven, thank you for making clear to us what you want and what you want for us. And thank you for sending Jesus to make it possible. Please help us now as we study your word. Help us to honor you and to love you more. Help us to understand your joy that it might be in us, that our joy might be full. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. John 15, starting at verse 1. Jesus is talking. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me... And my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. I'll stop there for now. In these first eight verses, we see that the Father wants fruit. That's the main idea. Jesus uses the image of a vineyard, where he says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. A vine dresser is just a word for the, the chief gardener, the guy who's in charge of taking care of the vine. And what the father wants, the vine dresser, the gardener, what he wants is fruit. Because the fruit that comes from the vine glorifies him. Jesus says that in verse 8, By this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So what kind of fruit does the father want? And as he prunes for more fruit, what is he looking for? We'll see in the second half of this passage, verses 9 through 15, that the fruit itself that he's after is love. That's what he wants, so keep that in mind. But first, he uses this image of the vine in these first eight verses. Let's look at how the vine, how the fruit, rather, is described. He says five things. The first, letter A, is that he says the fruit is not automatic. In verse verse 1, Jesus says, I am the true vine. And the image of a vine was somewhat common at this time. It was used regularly through the Old Testament scripture as a picture of the Jewish people. I'll give you just a snapshot from Psalm 80, verse 7. It says, Restore us, O God of hosts, let your face shine that we may be saved. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. And it goes on to talk about the vine and what has happened to this vine, the people of Israel. Also in Isaiah 5, verse 1, Isaiah says, Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. 
My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. So throughout, we see this image that keeps popping up, that the nation of Israel is a vine in a vineyard. And what God wants from that vine is fruit. And Jesus, during his ministry, he told a number of parables about vineyards. And if you've heard them, you might remember that most of those parables don't end well because the vine bears no fruit. And so here when Jesus comes and says, I am the true vine, he's saying that everything Israel was supposed to be as God's people, but that they failed to do, I am. Jesus says, I am the true vine. I am the one who has spoken God's word to the world. I am the one who has kept God's commandments. I am the one who has borne the fruit of love. I am the one who is the life of God for the world. And the point here is that the fruit is not automatic. It's not enough for these people to be Jewish, for them to be born into the nation of Israel. That's not enough for them to be a part of the vine because Jesus is the true vine. In verse 2, he says that there are branches that bear no fruit and the branches that bear no fruit are uh, taken away. And even the ones that do bear fruit, he prunes that they may bear more fruit. So for those that have no fruit, God cuts them down and takes them away because he wants fruit. And those that do bear fruit, he prunes them. It means he trims them. He cuts them back. He, you know, he, he hacks at them so that in the long run they can bear more fruit because what the Father wants is fruit. How does this apply to us? Friends, there is nothing, absolutely nothing about you or about me to make us pleasing to God. Absolutely nothing. The fruit that the Father wants is not automatic. Coming to church is not the same thing as bearing fruit. Being born into a Christian family is not the same thing as bearing fruit. Being nice to people or being successful is not what it means to bear fruit. Having lots of friends is not what it means to bear fruit. Because Jesus is the true vine. And so let's see what that means as he goes on into the next points. Letter B, he says that the fruit that the Father wants is not able to cleanse you because he says, already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. You see, the fruit doesn't make you clean. The word of Christ makes you clean. So if you are dirty, if you feel guilty or unworthy, or disgraced, or ashamed, or insufficient, or in any way inadequate before God, you can't fix that by doing anything. You cannot bear any fruit that will make you clean. The fruit, the good fruit that the Father wants, comes out of clean people. The fruit does not make you clean. And you see, most world religions get this point dead wrong because we approach God 
knowing that God is upset with us. But if we perform the right rituals, if we do the right things, we can appease him and get clean again. And Jesus says, the stuff you do cannot make you clean. The word that I speak is what makes you clean. So the fruit is not able to cleanse you. Letter C, the fruit is available. The fruit is available. Verse 4, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. You cannot bear this fruit by yourself. But the good news is that it's available to you in the true vine. And if you abide in the true vine, in Jesus, then you will bear this fruit. What does it mean to abide in the vine? It's not a word that we use a whole lot, but it it means to stay there. It means to stay connected. And stay connected, not in the sense of Facebook, where you friend people, but you can unfriend them with a click of a button, and maybe you friend them, but... You cut them out of your news feed because you just have too many things coming in. It's not staying connected in the sense of, oh, let's keep in touch. But it's staying connected in the sense of rooming together, sharing the same space, combining your lives, and falling over each other, tripping over each other as you're trying to brush your teeth. That's what it means to abide. You're connected in that closest way. In verse 5, Jesus again comes back to the fact that he is the vine. The vine is Jesus. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me will bear much fruit, but apart from me, you can do nothing. And then in verse 6, he says that those who do not stay connected, those who do not abide in him are thrown away and burned. The point is that the fruit the Father wants is available to you if you know where to look. If you go to the true vine and you stay there, You see, Jesus is like a Wi-Fi connection because without it, you don't really have a life, do you? But once you get connected, watch out world, then everything comes back. And when you stay connected, stuff can happen. The fruit is available. Letter D, the fruit is powerful. The fruit is powerful. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you... Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is a remarkable promise where Jesus says, if you stay connected with him, the fruit will come. And when his words are in you, you can ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Notice how he sets this up. He says, this thing of getting whatever you wish, whatever you want, That's what happens if you abide in me and my words abide in you. So notice, he's not just saying, free pass, ask whatever you want, you get whatever you want. Uh, Because actually, in many cases, it's it's a curse from God to when we get what we want. But what Jesus is saying is, if my words abide in you, that means that you will want what I want. You will start to think the way I think, You will believe what I believe. You will hope for what I hope for. And you will wish what I wish. And when we wish what Jesus wishes, God's going to do it. 
God will do it. And what God wants is for us to bear fruit. So if you ask God to help you abide in the vine and bear fruit, you know what? He will do it for you. All you have to do is ask. Because this fruit is powerful. Letter E, this fruit is identifiable. In verse 8, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Other people can see this fruit. This fruit proves that you are Jesus' disciples and it glorifies the Father. It brings the world's attention back to him where it should be. How does all of this apply? Everything here about the fruit. Whoever wants a fulfilling, joyful life will do whatever it takes to get this fruit. God wants this fruit, so it must be the best thing for us. And the power for bearing this fruit comes only from the true vine. And so we must connect with Jesus, and we must stay connected with Jesus. In fact, why wouldn't you want to? But we're left with this question, what is the fruit? He's talking about the fruit, and he's using this image. What is the fruit? So in the second half of this passage, Jesus unpacks the vine, the fruit imagery, and he gets specific. What does he really mean? He means that the fruit that he's talking about, the fruit that glorifies God and proves to the world that you're his disciples, that fruit is love. Verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. You see, he dropped the whole vine thing. No more abiding in the vine. It's abide in my love. And that's what it means to abide in the vine, to abide in Jesus, to stay connected with him. It means staying connected with Jesus's love. What does that mean? It means that you understand and you think often about how much the Father loves Jesus and how much Jesus loves you. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. You think about it and you abide. You stay there. You stay connected. Because you see, we never, never, never outgrow our need for Jesus' love. We never move past our need to talk about it. We, that's why we're always thinking about it. We're singing about it. We're talking about it. Children, we talk about God's love, Jesus' love for us so much because as you grow up, you can't ever stop thinking about Jesus' love. You'll never be too big for it. You need it. Your parents need it. We all need it. But what kind of love is this? What does this love look like? In verse 9, This love doesn't come and go because Jesus says, the father's loved me, so I have loved you. Stay there. Abide in my love. We must stay connected. Love, true love, doesn't come and go with how we're feeling in a day from day to day, but we stay there. We abide in it. We stay connected. It's like if you saw the the Hobbit, the new Hobbit movie a couple months ago, The Desolation of Smog. There's this one part where the the dwarves and uh, Bilbo the Hobbit, they're trying to get into the Lonely Mountain so they can get the treasure from the dragon. But there's this secret gate, the back door on the side of the mountain. 
And they have the key to the door. And they just need to find the lock to put the key in. And all they have is this prophecy that the last light of Doran's day will shine upon the keyhole. And they go there, and as the sun is setting, and they see the last light shining upon the door, they start to despair because they can't find the keyhole. And the sun sinks down in the horizon, and they throw the key down, and they just get mad. What's wrong? What did we miss? And it's not until the moon comes out that they realize it's the moonlight that's the last light. And the moonlight shines right on the spot where the keyhole is. That's what it means to abide in Jesus' love, is you have the key already. You know the key. You know that we are to love one another. But you cannot exercise that key unless you have the light of Jesus' love shining on you to make the keyhole available. Then the key will work. You see, unless you abide in his love, unless you're standing in his light, in the right light, the key will do you nothing. The key will do you no good. How does this apply? We must stay connected to Jesus' love. This love doesn't come and go with our feelings. We stay put in the shining light from Jesus. His love gets channeled through us out to others. But there's a lie that circulates in our culture that, you know, um, marriage vows today, instead of till death do us part, it's not uncommon for people to vow that I will love you as long as love lasts. And how long does it end up lasting? Sometimes it doesn't last very long. And this is not the kind of love that Jesus is talking about. This is the love that doesn't come and go. Letter B, this love is more about doing than about feeling. It's more about doing than feeling. Look at verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. You see, God commanded Jesus to die for the sin of the world. How do you think Jesus felt about that? Do you think he liked dying Do you think he enjoyed suffering? Did he feel just thrilled about that? That's right. He thumbs down. He Remember when he was praying the night before he died and he asked God, if there's anything else we can do, let me do it. But I'll submit to your will. And he sweat, sweated drops of blood because he was in such anguish. You see, love often doesn't feel good. The lie of our culture is that love is about how you feel. But the scripture says love is about what you do. And will you do the right thing even when you don't feel like doing it? That is true love. And that is the fruit of staying connected with Jesus' love. Because that's what Jesus did. And so how does this apply Don't wait for your feelings to line up before you love someone. Your feelings may never line up just right. Because love, God's love, Christ's love, will lead you to do things you don't feel like doing. Will lead you to pray with your child at 3 a.m. after that nightmare that woke her up. Will lead you to get up early to buy donuts for the church and help set them up. 
when you could have slept in a little later. Love will lead you to serve in the nursery. Love will lead you to cook a meal for someone. Love will lead you to share the gospel with someone, even though they might not like you for it. Love will lead you to do things that you don't feel like doing. It's more about doing than feeling. Letter C, this love that God wants is satisfying. Verse 11, I've already talked about it, key verse of this passage. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Everything that Jesus says about the fruit, about love, it's so that his joy can be in us. He wants to be satisfied in us and he wants us to be fully satisfied in him. He wants our joy to be full. True love, Jesus' love, is always the best love. And serving others will always leave you more satisfied in the end than serving yourself will. Listening to people, understanding them, choosing not to blame or accuse. Finding true love. What's the lie of our culture? The lie of our, of our culture is that love is thrilling. But you see, fullness of joy, like Jesus is talking about, it's not the same thing as having these thrilling heart palpitations, Ugh, being all Twitter-pated, just delighted. Because joy has much more to do with satisfaction, a deep-rooted pleasure in where God has us, than it has to do with necessarily happy, clappy feelings all the time. You can feel terrible as you drag yourself out of bed in the middle of the night to pray with that child who just had a nightmare. You can feel terrible, but in the end, you know, the ch this child trusts me more, this child feels closer to me, that was really worth it for the long run. And it built my intimacy, helped me to lay down my life. It's worth it. This love is satisfying. Letter D, this love means dying. This is sort of the essence of why the other things are true, why it's more about doing, why it's really satisfying, why it doesn't come and go, because this love means dying. Verse 12, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Well, Jesus, what does that love mean? Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Really, is that how you have loved us, Jesus? Yes, you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant doesn't know what his master is doing. You see, as we abide in Jesus' love, as we stay connected with Jesus' love, we realize that Jesus expressed his love by dying for his friends. And that is the greatest love that one can have, is by dying for others. When we are connected with Jesus, we will do the same. We will die for others. True love always puts the needs of others above my needs. I'm not after love because of how love will make me feel. I'm after love because of how I, it can serve others. And this means that I lay down my life for the good of others. This is why the best stories in the world always involve the hero's self-sacrifice. Because that's the best story. That's the greatest love. And I'm not going to spoil Frozen for you, but uh, heroes self-sacrifice. Go see it. What's the lie of our culture? The lie of our culture is that if I really love someone, it will make me feel good. 
that love is about me. Love is about what you can do for me. It's about how I feel about you. That, well, the, the truth of God is that true love will always give real joy and satisfaction in the long run, but in the short term, it feels like death. True love will feel like dying. And so it's actually not true, but commonly circulated, that you need to love yourself before you can love others. You need to learn to love yourself so that you can love others. And that's not true. The Bible assumes that you naturally love yourself. That's why you think about yourself so much. And it doesn't matter whether you think I'm a great person or I'm a terrible person. Both of those are statements of self-love. Because I'm putting the spotlight on me. I'm thinking about me. I'm worried about me. And Jesus says, as much as you already love yourself, love others that way. Give others preference and think more about them than you think about yourself. Jesus' love teaches us to put others first and to think more about them than about ourselves. Letter E. Love not only means dying, but this love lets people in. Verse 15, Jesus says, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You see, Jesus doesn't push them away as servants. He doesn't hold them at arm's length. Okay, I'm the master here. I'm the Lord of the universe, heaven and earth, and you do my bidding. And at times, that's an appropriate image to think of. Later, we, you know, we see James called himself a bondservant of Jesus Christ. And it can be appropriate for us to see ourselves as servants. And there's a sense in which that is a, a good and true metaphor. But here, Jesus switches the metaphor a bit. And he says, I'm not treating you as servants, just telling you what to do, but you can't ask any questions. He's saying, you are my friends. I call you friends. I am making known to you. I'm letting you in. And I'm filling you in on everything that the Father has told me. And he invites them in, even though they haven't done a very good job of understanding him. And this is risky to let people in. Look back at chapter 14, verse 8. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. And Jesus said, have I been with you so long and you still don't know me, Philip? You see, Jesus knows what it means to be misunderstood by people. And he doesn't let that prevent him from letting them in anyway. You see, often we keep ourselves at a distance from other people because we're more focused on self-protection than on self-sacrifice. Because I don't want to be hurt again. I don't know if I can trust these people. I don't want to bring up all the pain and all the darkness inside. And so we treat other people as servants, here to serve us, keep them at arm's length, and we don't treat them as friends with whom we can just let our defenses down and talk about what's going on, let them in on it without fear or insecurity. And boy, it is so easy to justify that, isn't it? It is so easy to justify that sort of treatment. Not too long ago, I spoke very rashly to one of my sons uh, to discipline him unfairly. 
And the hardest thing in the world for me was after I realized it, it came to my attention that I was unfair, I was rash. The hardest thing was to go to him and talk to him and ask his forgiveness for having spoken that way to him. And I... I can thank no one but the Holy Spirit for helping me to do it because I did and we just had a sweet, sweet moment together as he freely gave me forgiveness and the relationship got a lot closer. But it's so easy for me to think, I am the parent, you are the child. I am the one in authority, you obey me, I don't obey you. And that's what God wants. That's how God set it up. So therefore, I don't ever have to show you weakness. But that is a lie. That is a lie. True love lets people in. True love is not afraid to show weakness. True love is willing to trust people. Now, don't get me wrong, and I don't want to take it to an extreme. There are times at which we should stop trusting people. Jesus says, do not cast your pearls to the swine, lest they trample on them and turn and tear you to pieces. There are times not to trust. But we, I think we over-apply that. It's a lot easier to not trust people and find justification for that. And so here, the focus is on let people in. Let people in. The lie that we tend to believe is that I'll love people after I feel understood by them. After they prove themselves to me that they are trustworthy, then maybe I'll let them in. But that's not how Jesus does it. That's not how his love works. In conclusion, the Father wants fruit And the fruit that he wants is love. These are the two secrets for a more joyful life that we must understand. The father wants fruit and the fruit he wants is love. The father wants us to love each other. Look at how Jesus concludes this in verse 16 though. Because who can love like this? Verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. So he brings the image of fruit back and connects it to make really clear the fruit we're looking for is love. I command you, so you'll love one another, so you'll go and bear fruit. But who can really love like this? Who can love constantly, actively, satisfyingly, sacrificially, and intimately? And this love, who can have this love that is not automatic? It's not able to cleanse. It comes from clean people, but it's available. It's powerful. It's identifiable. Who can do that? And your hope must be here that you did not choose me, but I chose you. That you should go and bear fruit, fruit that abides. See, our hope is not that we can be the right kind of people who can bear the right kind of fruit to make the the Father pleased with us because what we cannot love like Jesus wants us to love. We cannot bear the fruit of love the way he wants us to bear the fruit of love. But who can do it? Who can do it? Jesus. Jesus can do it. He is the true vine. And we can stay connected to him. And he appointed us to do it with him as his branches, as his arms and fingers in the world. But we're connected from him, sucking his love and funneling it out to the world. 
So set your hope in Jesus, know his love, share his love, and know that he has chosen you even though you did not love him. God delights to fulfill his love in you. The secrets to a joyful life are that the father wants fruit. The fruit he wants is love, but this love comes only through Jesus as we rest in him. A couple weeks ago, I had a pretty difficult conflict with my wife. And uh, I said some really hurtful things to her and regretted it later. She said some things to me that I thought were pretty hurtful, but later I found out that I had mostly misunderstood her. <laughs> you know, we, we do dumb things when we focus on ourselves. But as we were in the middle of this conflict, and there was this wall, and I, I was so right. And I wanted to make sure she knew how right I was. Again, by, by God's grace, by the power of his Holy Spirit, this thought came into my mind. Jesus died for her. Jesus loves her more than I do. And Jesus died for me. So I have nothing left to prove. And honestly, it was only by consciously forcing myself to think about that and saying in my head, Jesus died for her. Jesus died for her. Jesus died for me. Only then was I able to move forward without just withdrawing, protecting myself, and attacking her. And we were able to make progress through that conflict. And so, will you abide in Christ's love? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for sending Jesus for us, not only to show us love, but to be love for us and to call us and appoint us to bear fruit, the fruit of love that will last. Please help us to love you, to understand your love, and to sing and speak of it always, and never to think that we have moved past our need for it. And as you do this, help us to love the way you have loved us, that the world might know that we are your disciples and that you might receive much glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.